Well, several weeks ago, we left Jesus in a particular town, standing up ready to speak in the synagogue, didn't we? And uh, then we didn't meet for several weeks. So uh, we're going to review a little bit. So maybe if you weren't here two weeks ago, you will know where we are and help you to understand uh, where we are. We are studying right now the book of John through looking at the Feast of Tabernacles. So take your, take your Bibles and if you would turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And Jesus is at the pinnacle point of his teaching ministry. He's in his Galilee ministry. If you remember that, we had the map up last time for you and we shared with you that Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. And uh, there's the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River runs right down through the middle of Israel. And at the bottom of that is the Dead Sea. And just to the left of the Dead Sea is Jerusalem. So Jesus is up here at the top and he's been ministering for the last several months in Galilee. And his ministry has really taken off. People are really excited. They're, they're excited about what's going on in his ministry right now. And at this point of his ministry, throngs of people are following him. And uh, we realize that, and we realize that also that th as far as where he is in his ministry, he is at the second Passover. Now, Jesus is going to go to three Passovers. The first Passover, does anybody remember what the first Passover was? It was the Passover with the people. Very good. It was the Passover with the people. It took place down in Jerusalem. So that was the first year of Jesus' ministry. We've now gone through the first year of His ministry, and we've reached the second year. So when time you get to John chapter 6, if you look at verse 4, it says this, and the Passover feast of the Jews was nigh. Chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, takes place the day before Passover. So part of chapter 6, the first part we're going to look at, takes place the day before Passover. The second part takes, um, takes place the day of Passover at Capernaum in the temple. So when we think about this, during uh, his Galilean ministry, the other thing that was happening politically that is important for us to, to uh, remember is John the Baptist had just been beheaded. So Jesus at the pinnacle point of his ministry. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Rome is pretty upset about what they hear going on in Galilee. And uh, Herod is even asking, hey, what's going on? I thought we killed this guy, John the Baptist. Who's this guy in Galilee making all this noise? So Rome is being stirred up. And of course, down in Jerusalem, where the center of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, they were now getting stirred up, and they were sending people north up to Galilee to follow Jesus around, hearing what he's saying, because he's already claimed to be deity. He's already claimed to be the Son of God. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees are stirred up, Rome stirred up, and the people of Galilee... They're really taking all this in right now. They're just really excited uh, about what's happening. So, there's in a sense a prelude to, to what's going on here. And it starts here in John, chapter, or in John chapter 6, verse 5. It says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come, um, come unto him. He saith unto them, Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now this is, and I'm not going to read through this, I'm just reviewing a little bit. This is the feeding of the 5,000. So this is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. He asked Philip, 
Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people? Why did he ask Philip? This was Philip's home area. So if anybody should have known where the local Wawa was, it would have been Philip. He would have known where they could have gone and got food. But certainly when Philip looked, you know, how are we going to feed all these people? And it's really interesting, and I shared it with you last time. If we were to take all four of the Gospels and we were to take this account and we were to put it together, we would find out that there was, it wasn't the right place. It says in Luke 9.12, it said this is the desert where we get bread to feed these people. And Luke 9.13, it says there's not enough bread. Um, you know, how can five loaves and two fishes feed these people? And in John 6.7, there's not enough money. 200 denarii, about a year's worth of wages for one man, certainly couldn't feed 5,000 people for a meal. And then there wasn't enough manpower in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. They said, let's send the multitude away into the surrounding villages so they can eat dinner. And then in um, Matthew 14, 15, there was not enough time. It was too late in the day. So when you take all, all those counts and you put them together, there's not enough. Not enough time, not enough manpower, not enough people, just not enough. But you know, with Jesus, there's always enough, isn't there? When you put Jesus in the math equation, it always comes out good. So even though you look at the four Gospels and you take the synopsis of them, the not enoughs, Jesus was enough to take care of this problem. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then what happens? How many, how much was left? Twelve baskets were left. That's right, twelve baskets. They take those twelve baskets, they get on a boat, because at the end of this, something very interesting happens. Look at verse 13. Therefore they gather them together, the twelve baskets with the fragments, the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that they had eaten. Then these men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, this is the truth, uh, this is of the truth, the prophet that should come unto the world. When Jesus therefore perceived they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed up into the mountain. So it's the end of the day, he's fed the 5,000, everybody's all excited, hey, this is the prophet we've been praying for, finally, Israel's Messiah, Israel's Messiah is here, let's make him king. And so in a sense, they're, they're ready to make Jesus king. Here's the problem, Jesus didn't come now to set up his earthly kingdom, that's not until the millennium. So he's come up, he's come to set up a kingdom in people's hearts. But the people of Israel, they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for someone who's going to relieve them of this Roman oppression. They're looking for someone who's going to... I'm either getting shorter or this keeps going down on me. <laughs> Just felt like I was kept getting shorter here. So, um, But they're looking for this Messiah. And uh, that really, that is a key there. Israel wants the land to be restored. Uh, they, they want spiritual and physical bliss, really, is what they're looking for. And Jesus comes to deal with their heart. So, that's what happens. So again, Jesus knows, hey, this is not looking too good. So he, he goes to the, up on the mountain to pray, and his disciples get on a boat, and they start to go across the Sea of Galilee. You find that there in this chapter. Now, it's not in here, but this is in this portion... When you look at the other Gospels, this is where Peter walks on water. And it's interesting, a big storm comes up, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is watching his disciples in the midst of this storm. I mean, from 6 o'clock until the fourth watch. Now, when you, when you think of the watches, there's the, 
the 6 to 9, there's the 9 to 12, 9 to 3, and then the 3 to 6. There was always four watches on the night. So it says on the fourth watch, Jesus came down off the mountain. So Jesus had been watching his disciples fight this storm all night. And they were pretty frustrated. This isn't a real long trip across the Sea of Galilee. They should have been able to make it in a matter of hours. But all night, they're fighting this wind, and Jesus is watching them. And I just want to share something with you. Jesus knows when you're going through a storm. Just like he knew the disciples were going through a storm, he could have come down and alleviated that storm any time, but he let them go through that storm all night until the fourth watch. Somewhere between three and six, he comes down off the mountain from praying, and he walks on water, walks out to the boat. This is where there's the exchange with him and Peter. Peter gets out of the boat, you know, walks towards him. So we have all that that happens during that night. That is leading in to Passover. And uh, so they make, finally, they get across to the other side, and uh, they get across there, and now they're at the port of Capernaum. If you look in verse 24, it says, And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took ships and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So they got up the next morning and they thought, hey, we'll go down right where the feeding of the 5,000 was. We'll look for Jesus. When they got down to the shore, Jesus wasn't there. He had left. And so the news got around. Hey, where did Jesus go? Hey, where did that guy who fed us all yesterday, where did he go? And the news got around real quick. Hey, I think I saw his disciples get on a boat, head across the lake. They must have been going to Capernaum. So now everybody gets on boats and they go across to Capernaum. And so now we're in the morning of the Sabbath. Here's Jesus and he gets to Capernaum. So we pick up this story in John chapter 6 at the port of Capernaum. And that's important. And, and you'll always find with Jesus, when Jesus gets to a town, one of the first places he always goes is he always goes to the temple. And certainly on Passover, Jesus would have been going to the temple. And so that's where all this conversation takes place. And this is so important for us to look out now, starting with verse 25. It says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when comest thou here? Or when did you come here, Jesus? So all these people come and the first thing they say, hey, when did you come here? We didn't know you left the other side. When did you get here? And I want you to notice something here. Jesus does not answer their question. At least the question they asked. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So, you know, they get there and, and they ask this question, you know, where, how, how did you get here? When did you get here, Jesus? And Jesus basically says in our vernacular, why are you guys worried about this anyway? You have got this all wrong. You're worried about the temporal and I'm here to deal with the eternal. And you know, in life, it's really easy to get involved in, you know, with the temporal, isn't it? And Jesus always is involved in the eternal. So he's trying to get them, listen, don't worry about how I got here. That's not important. 
The, the important thing is that I'm here, and the important thing is I want to focus on the eternal. And, and then, so look at this next question, okay? We'll think about that. Then they said unto them, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? We've, we've seen all these miracles. We've seen your disciples cast out demons, Jesus. I mean, you know, all these things that are going on. How, how can we be involved in these things? How can we do these same things? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that should believe on him who hath sent, who he hath sent. And so the second thing is then they ask, what shall we do? How can we do these things? And again, Jesus tries to focus it in. It's not about doing, it's about what? What does it say? Right, exactly, Tim. It's not about doing, it's about believing is what he's saying. And one of the things as you share the gospel with people, one of the things as you start to share Jesus with people, people are always wanting to know, what can I do? What can I do to get to heaven? The reality is you can't do anything. All you can do is what? Believe. And so immediately he starts to zero in here on their eternal souls. And they're all worried about the temporal. They're wanting to know, you know, what, what can we do? And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not what you can do. It's simply that you believe. Then there's a third question that they ask. So uh, verse 25 is one question. Verse 28 is a question. And then verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? Now it's interesting. Remember, the majority of these people had been on the other side of the sea yesterday and they had watched him feed 5,000 people with uh, five loaves and two fishes. That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? I mean, don't you think that was enough? I mean, they've watched him. Remember, he, he's been involved in the Galilean ministry now for months. He's been healing. He's been casting out demons. He's been doing all of these miracles. And what are they asking for? Give us one more sign, Jesus. Just one more. Prove to us that you're really the Son of God. Because we're not really sure. You know, you fed all those people. That was pretty impressive. And, you know, we've seen people, you, we've seen the blind be able to see, and we've seen the lame walk. But, man, can't you just do one more of those tricks? Can't you just do one more of those things so we can be sure that you are who you say you are? That's what they're asking. And then they remind them, you know, hey, maybe, you know, hey, think back. Because remember, these are Jewish people. Look what they say in verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. And it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So it's almost like saying, hey, Jesus, remember the one in the Old Testament? Remember where the bread came down from heaven? Man, that was really neat. Can you do that one too, Jesus? And the reality is Jesus begins to share with him now that he is the bread of life. He answers them that he is the bread that is sent from heaven. And why is that so important? Why is this whole discourse now that we're going to see that goes through this chapter so important? Remember I've told you that everything in the book of John relates to a feast of Israel. This one is no different. Jesus is going to take this opportunity to talk about Him being the bread of life and to really drive this point home. This whole conversation that we're listening to takes place in the temple. And in the temple during Passover, 
one of the things that they would do is they would stand up and they would read large portions of the Old Testament. That's what they had then. So they would stand up. And even Jesus, you find when Jesus went to the synagogues, Jesus would stand up and read the law. And so what Jesus is going to do for us now is He's going to go back and He's going to pull portions out of the law and bring them into the reality of what they're listening to right now. He's going, to, he's going to take those old portions and bring them to where they are now and then take some thoughts about Himself and compare them. So, let me, go, let me go through and show you this. And again, I'm not going to have you turn to these portions of Scripture because it would take us too long. But here we go. I'm just going to go through. He, he provides a vital picture of what the comparison between the Old Testament and Passover. Between the Old Testament and the Passover they're celebrating. So, in verse um, chapter 6, verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of God, which the Son, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him he hath, for him hath God the Father sealed. Listen to Isaiah 55 2. They would have read this in the morning. They would have read this in the morning. Wherefore do you spend money for what, for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Isaiah 55.2, John 6.27. You could write it right next to your Bible and take some time and go back and look up these comparisons sometime. He's taking from the Old Testament, which they're reading right now for Passover in the temple, and he's, he's bringing these things to life. So Isaiah 55.2, John 6.27. Isaiah 54.13 and John 6.45. Isaiah 54.13 says, And all, the, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of the children. John 6.45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God, Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Another portion they would have read probably in the morning of Passover is Numbers 11.13. Whence should I have flesh to give unto this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. Listen to what he says in John 6.51 and 55. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world, for my flesh is the meat indeed, and my blood is the drink indeed. Another portion, John, or excuse me, Genesis 3 3 says. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. John 6.50 This is the bread that cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof, and what? Not die. Again, he's pulling pieces from the Old Testament, and he's making them live with his quotes from the New Testament, from, from here. 
Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil, and now let, lest he put forth his hand and take also for the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Look at John 6.51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. John 3.24 and John 6.37. John 3.24 says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and flaming swords, which turned every way to his guard the way of the tree of life. John 6.37. And that the Father giveth me, excuse me, all that the Father giveth me shall come, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise, what? Cast out. So here, he's driving them out, and here he's what? He's taking them in, and I'm not going to cast them out. So what Jesus has done here to the audience in the, at the synagogue in Capernaum is he's taken from what they're reading, he's taken from what they're listening to the priests, they're listening to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the temple priests, stand up and read. And then Jesus is standing up and saying, hey, listen, all these things that they're telling you, what? I am the answer. I am the bread of life. And you can go back and forth through this portion of Scripture and you can see that. Now, look, look there in verse 51. You should really, if you've not done this, you should take and you should mark 51 because it is the pinnacle point of his message. When he gets to 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and that bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for his life. Now, what were the three things after the people of Israel left Egypt and they're in the wilderness, what were the three things that they said God, or they complained to Moses they needed? There were three things. Food. They needed food, didn't they? So God sent them what? Manna from heaven. What else did God send them? Quail. He sent them quail to eat, didn't He? He sent them meat. And what else? Remember the people murmured and Moses got upset with the people because they were murmuring about, we need water. And remember He struck the rock and that was the reason He wasn't able to go into the promised land. So, three things that the people needed. Drink, bread, and meat. Again, we're talking with Jewish people here. We're tying all this into the Passover. And in this portion of Scripture, you know what you find? You find all three of those things met. Look, look at it real quick. Because it is so neat how Jesus puts it in here. Look back at verse 33. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never what? Never thirst. There's the drink. Look, if you would, at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In verse 48, for I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And then look, if you would, in verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days. 
So here he is, speaking to this Jewish audience, sharing with them, hey, listen, I am the answer. I I am the one. I I am the one who you're thirsting for. I am that manna come down from heaven. And you can eat of that. And you can eat of that flesh. And you can be filled. So right here is a perfect presentation for us of the Gospel, of who Jesus is. And again, he's sharing it right here in the synagogue with these Jewish people at Passover. And so this this Passover, remember the first Passover was with the people. The second Passover is the Passover to the people. He is sharing with them here how He is the bread of life. And as you read through here, it's really neat when you take this apart and you look at it because first of all, the source of the bread of life. In verse 33, what's the source of the bread of life? For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven. The source of the bread is what? It's from heaven. It's where the bread's provided. The abundance of the bread. Look at the abundance. Verse 33b, it says, For the bread is of God, of God is which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto what? The world. There's the abundance. This, this bread is enough for what? For the world. So we have the source. We have the abundance. And then we have the substance of the bread. In verse 35, verse 35, he says what? And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. The source, the abundance, the substance. And then look at the sufficiency of the bread. In verse 35b, he says, And he that believeth on me shall... What? Never thirst or never be hungry. The sufficiency shall never. How about the breaking of the bread? In verse 51, we read that already. I will give my flesh. The partaking of the bread. In verse 53, except ye eat. The sustenance of the bread. In verse 54, you'll have eternal life. And the assimilation of the bread. In verses 56 through 57, it says, dwelleth in me and I in Him. So this chapter talks all about the bread of life. Jesus is giving them the answer here to who He is, and He's pulling it all out of the Old Testament, correlating it with Passover, and offering them the answer to what they're looking for. So, what is the response? What what is these people's response to this? You know, I mean, He's laid all this out, and, and, and I would encourage you to take some time and and read it for yourself. But what what is their response here? What is their response? Look, if you would, in verse 59, it says, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And then verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It's, man, this is really tough. I mean, he's just really preached a hard message. When Jesus knew it, knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? I think it's interesting because remember, there were some other murmurers too. I think they were of the same race, weren't they? Yeah, the Sadducees, but, but he's preaching to the Jewish people. Where did they murmur? In the wilderness, that's right, Mrs. Smith. They, they murmured in the wilderness against Moses, didn't they? Horribly. 
And here, what's the reaction? You think they would have learned after all those years? They what? They murmured against what Jesus was saying. They really did not accept this. Again, because it's all about his deity. It's all about his deity. It says, when Jesus knew himself that his disciples murmured at it and said unto him, doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray them. And he said, therefore, he said, excuse me, and he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except that were given unto him of my Father. Nobody comes to Jesus unless the Father has chosen them to come to Jesus. We're not going to get into that tonight. That's a whole different thing there. You know, predestination and everything. But before the foundation of the world, as I said this morning, God had chose. The Father knows who's going to come. He knows that. And this you ought to put in your Bible. It's because it's interesting whether it's a big thing or not. We always talk about 666, you know, the mark of the beast. We always talk about that. Well, in John 6, 66, look what it says. From that time, many of his disciples were, or excuse me, went back and walked no more with him. I don't know. I know. Sometime after the Bible was written, a long time, they put the verses, you know, and the, the, the numbers on the verses. But it's interesting to me that it's what? John 6, 6, 6. That that's when his disciples did what? They said, hey, we don't want anything to do with this. We don't want anything to do with this. We're walking away from it. So he preaches this message in the synagogue and is the reaction to, his, to those. Now, when it says disciples, remember, it's not exactly talking about just those 12. It's talking about many who were following him at this time. And many of them turned and walked away. They turned and walked out of the synagogue. And when Jesus sees that, he turns to the twelve. And look what he does. Look what he says to them. Verse 67, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? How about you guys? You know, you guys have been following me for the last 14, 15 months. What are you going to do here? What are you going to do? Are you going to leave like the rest of these? You've heard, the, you've heard these hard, hard sayings. You've heard these things that I've just preached here in the synagogue. What are you going to do about it, guys? So he made it really personal. What are you going to do about it? And Peter, Peter who always is the spokesman for the group, Peter speaks up. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I call this Peter's confession. Peter had several confessions. This is one of them. But... Uh, he says, Lord, where, where are we going to go? There's, there's no one else to go to. Who else are we going to go to, Lord? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There's no one else to hear, Lord. <laughs> you know, where are we going to go? And then number two, who else are we going to listen to? Nobody has the words of eternal life like you just gave us. Apart from you, Lord, there is nobody. So there's no, no, no one else to hear. And then look what else he says in verse 69. 
And we believe and are sure that Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And you ought to take a big yellow marker and you ought to mark that right there. Because that's what it's all about. It's all about the deity of Christ. Because Christ has been saying, I am what? I am the Son of God. I am God incarnate. I am God in the flesh. I've been sent from God. And so Peter's confession, the very last thing he says is, listen, there's really no one else to trust in, Lord. So, Lord, you know what? We're here to stay. We're going to stick with you. We're going to stick with you, Lord. It says, and we believe. In verse 7, 70, Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So even though Peter says, Lord, listen, we're going to follow you to the end. You can trust us. We're here for you, Lord. We believe in you, Lord. The Lord looks back at him and says, you know what, guys? Even one of you is going to betray me. Even one of you is going to sell me out. Even one of you is a devil. What do we get from that? What do we learn from that? You know, the thing is, is it's this. The Bible says that even the demons, what? Believe. Even the demons believe. So it's not just about believing. It's what? It's trusting. It's putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Even the demons of hell believe that Jesus is who he says it says he is, but the problem is they don't what? They don't trust him. And so my admonition to you is make sure you're not just believing, but you're trusting that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. John chapter 6. That's what it's all about. It's about the second Passover. The whole thing is based on this thing of bread. And we, we looked at all those Old Testament passages that talk about bread, and then Jesus, what? He just drags them out of the Old Testament, brings them right to where He is in the temple, and then makes statements to compare those Old Testament statements with His statements that were present day of that time. So again, what does He use? He uses the Passover. All of the teaching of John is built around the Passover. The more we understand about Jewish history and about the feasts of the Jews, we will understand the book of John. John chapter 7. I will not be teaching next week because I have to be in Awana. The, the winters are away, and uh, Brother Joe will be teaching. So in two weeks, I'm going to take you into John chapter 7, and we are going to look at a, at a feast we haven't looked at. And to me, it's one of the... All of the feasts are exciting, but it is sort of one of my favorite. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're going, to, we're going to visit the Feast of the Tabernacles. We're going to find out why they built these little tabernacles in, the back, in their backyards. And then we're going to see how that fits in to John chapter 7, because John chapter 7 takes place at the Feast of Tabernacles. Thank you.